Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company. You know this is a program where we share the life journeys of people just like you and me. And every now and then I come across some people who have gone through some quite unique experiences. I say unique, but it's quite unique for us who live in Western countries where we have religious freedoms and religious experiences that are not as difficult as some of our brothers and sisters who love the Lord in other parts of the world. Well, today I have a very special guest who's joining me all the way via Skype from the Czech Republic, from Prague. And I'd like to welcome Peter Jacek. Peter, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you very much, and good morning to all your listeners. Great. It's, it's lovely to have your company. I know there's about a 10-hour difference between us at the moment, but I, I'm looking forward to hearing your testimony. Now, Peter, I met you about two weeks ago now. You were at a function for Voice of the Martyrs, and you were sharing yeah. your testimony, how the Lord had... Uh, protected you through a very difficult experience in the Sudan, how you had been uh, arrested and then put in prison. You'd only been there for a short period of time, and you were on your way out of the country, and you were in prison for is it over 400 days. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It was actually 445 days. What? I didn't actually count the days, but uh, I rather counted uh, uh, months. But uh, some people counted the days as well, so it's 445 days. Wow. Okay, that's a long time to be incarcerated, especially when you were an innocent man, you know, from all the uh, the, the things that they uh, accused you of. But, Peter, we, we're going to yep. get to that story very shortly. I wonder if you could just tell us what you currently do. You know, I am uh, one of the co-founding members of the Czech Voice of the Martyrs uh, that uh, we started in uh, 1992. Uh, so I am still working as a volunteer for the Czech Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, I still work uh, for uh, one of our sister missions in the United States, uh, the same organization, but, uh, you know, uh, all our organization within these uh, within this family uh, of, uh, as you could say, Richard Wimbrand missions, uh, we are independent missions, and we are united in an association that is called International Christian Association, uh, or as you can use the abbreviation ICA. So I'm uh, also, from starting uh, since October last year, uh, I'm also representing uh, now the uh, International Christian Association as uh, uh, their ambassador. So actually, I, I do all these three things uh, at the same time. No doubt that would keep you very busy to have three roles uh, that you're involved with. But it sounds like yeah. that's your passion. You obviously have a, a love for what you do, and, and, and obviously that's motivated by your love for the Lord. Yeah, that's uh, more like a calling. You know, it's not like a, like a job. You know, I, I do have a kind of a healthcare professional background uh, that I left uh, 
uh, and retired from in uh, 2002. So it's uh, actually uh, now 16 years uh, that I'm uh, just uh, dedicating all my time, you know, to help uh, our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and also to uh, be the voice of those who are actually voiceless because they are forgotten by many uh, organizations, by many Christians, but uh, they are uh, true, I would say, the true witnesses uh, uh, for Christ in their countries where they are being persecuted. So I'm, I'm feeling it as a, as a privilege uh, now to uh, work as the servant of the persecuted brothers and sisters because of my background, you know, in a, uh, as I grew up in uh, in a communist Czechoslovakia, so uh, for me personally, having uh, uh, the personal experience from the communist time and uh, being freed from that, and uh, now since 1989 living in a free uh, democratic country, I, I feel it uh, as a privilege that I can now uh, serve. Uh, with my full strength, full time, and my experiences um, to serve uh, the persecuted church around the world. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's wonderful to hear. So you were you were born in a communistic country. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, we were born, family influences, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was born in 1963. Uh, that was the time in the communist Czechoslovakia that probably was not uh, that. Uh, uh, difficult and dangerous as it was in the, the beginning of the communist dictatorship in, uh, you know, who actually took uh, the power in 1948. Uh, mm. But uh, I have heard a lot from uh, my parents or even from my older uh, uh, family members, uh, you know, because I, I'm, I'm the youngest in, in a family. So, um, so, I mean, I grew up in a situation uh, where uh, the churches uh, were persecuted, where many uh, church activities were restricted, and uh, basically you could say that all the official, uh, officially allowed church activities were actually closely monitored by uh, secret police or by secret agents or secret co-workers of the secret police that actually either infiltrated the churches or just uh, recruited uh, some of the secret informers from uh, those uh, uh, church members. So it was a situation that was extremely difficult. And um, I should say that my father was a pastor, okay. um, you know, in the in the uh, Czech Evangelical Brethren uh, Church, which... Uh, uh, you know, was uh, at that time officially allowed, but uh, as I said, was also kind of uh, infiltrated by many secret agents and um, closely monitored by secret police. You know, this actually, all these uh, surveillance and uh, these uh, infiltration of the secret service and uh, especially, I would say, the infiltration of the secret service, especially among the leaders of the whole denomination, actually led my father in uh, his uh, 
uh, you know, late 50s, you know, to actually leave the official church and just uh, start to start working as an ordinary worker, but uh, continuing his work uh, just in the underground church. It was also uh, quite strong and influential in the former communist Czechoslovakia. Mm. So really he started taking ordinary work and he was a self-supporting minister in, in the underground church then. Uh, was that safer to do it that way rather than work through this process where there had been infiltration and people at, at different levels within the organization from the government? I would say it was probably more dangerous to okay. work in the underground church, but uh, it was more efficient from the perspective of the uh, properly functioning uh, uh, Christian church. So, hmm. uh, you know, this allowed us to uh, do things and uh, to my parents. And at that time, of course, I was already uh, involved in that work, even though I was still kind of like a teenager. Uh, but uh, it allowed us to organize the meetings, invite the speakers that we want to have, and we were absolutely free, even though, uh, on the other hand, I should say that we were actually 24-7 monitored and surveilled uh, by the secret police. Mm. So what was it that the government thought might be a, a, a risk to them that they had such close monitoring and also what that restrict in regards to what you could say and couldn't say or believe? You know, in the official church, uh, basically, my father was not allowed to invite uh, anyone to speak unless uh, the person would be officially approved by uh, the state authorities uh, and uh, everything uh, should have been uh, later on reported. So if there would be a speaker who was not officially registered in that church, uh, that would be impossible for my father to invite that person to speak. So, and my father felt like, uh, you know, the, the, the structure of the officially allowed church was basically compromised uh, with, uh, with the uh, uh, secret service and with uh, the power of the authorities. So he felt it like that it, he will be much more free if he will do it just uh, everything unofficially, everything underground, and just to be only dependent on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Mm, understand. So to become a Christian at that time, so to join your denomination, how easy would that have been? Uh, you know, uh, the church activities such as evangelism uh, uh, was under communism very much restricted. Uh, Christians were not normally allowed to do street evangelism. Uh, they were not, uh, they were only, uh, they were all activities were just restricted to the church buildings. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember that uh, even at the time when we already uh, were kind of transiting and we were working closely with the underground church, we were also trying to use the church, you know, like uh, especially at the nice summer days, you know, my older sisters were playing the organ in the church and we were just waiting for people who entered the church. Uh, and by just because they listened, uh, they heard the music. So, yes. uh, but uh, of course, you know, as we uh, started to share the gospel with those uh, random visitors of the church, uh, and uh, I remember it was a wonderful time because many of them uh, just decided to follow Christ after. Uh, you know, we shared the gospel with them. And of course, later on, uh, when this activity was somehow 
uh, and, you know, uh, brought to the attention of the secret police. Then even secret agents came and kind of pretended that they are interested to receive Christ and uh, uh, were trying to uh, get us out of the church because, uh, you know, they knew that in the moment we would leave the church building, we could uh, uh, get arrested for, mm. for these activities. So I think at that time we just used this uh, uh possibility, this opportunity to share the gospel. But uh, I can tell you that later on, when we just shared Christ from person to person, uh, it was uh, uh, probably much more effective uh, than just, uh, you know, wait for the person who enters uh, the church building. So uh, step by step, you know, as our relationship with the persecuted church grew stronger, uh, I think it was more and more clear to my parents that uh, the work in the underground church would be actually uh, more free. You know, that would be mm. that freedom that uh, no authority can give you or no authority can actually take away from you. Amen. So while it was more dangerous, you could be more true to your gospel and your your personal convictions in regards exactly. to God and sharing yeah, exactly. it with others. Mm, wow. Yeah. Now, I've, I've noticed just of late in the last few years as well that there are more and more countries which we would consider to be free who are now restricting evangelism in public places. You can only evangelize in uh, in your own church. And I, mean, I was in a place like Singapore, for example, which is very free, mm -hmm. just recently yeah. and uh, attended a church there. And they said they couldn't evangelize. They couldn't hand out pamphlets or tracts. Um, they could only evangelize in their own church. So it seems like that uh, um, experience that you grew up under is also yeah. now starting to permeate more and more countries around the world, even those we consider to be free. That's that's right. Uh, I would say that uh, we see it even in the uh, European Union. Mm. We see a lot of uh, limitations, even though I would still consider, like our country, Czech Republic, uh, uh, like uh, relatively free, uh, probably maybe more free than any of the uh, former uh, you know, or any of the uh, Western countries or United States or Australia, we can still do whatever we want, evangelism on the street, we can even still go to schools. Uh, I would say we still have a lot of freedoms. Uh, mm. And uh, But we see uh, step by step how our freedoms are being limited by uh, maybe at the beginning, like a subtle, you know, restrictions uh, and uh, something that actually makes uh, it more difficult for Christians, especially if they really want to uh, stand boldly in Christ and just keep and live according uh, to the Word of God. And that's, mm. that's uh, something that uh, I would say that every person uh, who actually wants uh, to live godly life in Christ Jesus, and I'm now using Apostle Paul's words from 2 Timothy 3.12, yes. should expect uh, persecution, and that's what uh, what uh, I would say we see uh, in this world uh, gradually uh, being uh, our freedoms being more and more restricted. Mm. Now, I'm just wondering, while you were growing up under these circumstances, which obviously weren't ideal, they weren't really free, how easy was it to be a Christian and maintain your, your walk with the Lord? Uh, in one sense, it was very difficult, uh, especially when you take into consideration, you know, that uh, it's not only uh, your personal faith, but you're trying to bring up your children in Christian faith. And if you want to do that, you know, if your children uh, will 
attend the church meetings or you would send them to uh, some meetings like youth groups or Sunday school. Uh, so all these activities were, that were closely monitored by secret police uh, eventually resulted in uh, uh, restrictions uh, such as, you know, like that the children of parents who were sending their children to these uh, youth, uh, me youth uh, meetings or Sunday schools or religious studies were actually uh, prevented from being admitted to the high school or wow. later on even to, to for instance, uh, uh, you know, their choice of their universities would be very limited by uh, by the, the local authorities. So uh, in, in order, you know, to live the godly life in Christ Jesus, according, you know, under the common it brought a lot of restrictions for your children, for but even for the, uh, the Christians themselves. Like uh, there were certain positions, certain professions that were absolutely not, um, uh, you know, thinkable for Christians. Like to be a teacher, uh, you know, it was extremely difficult. I would rather say almost impossible. You know, I, I have my personal experience with my family because my mother was a qualified primary school teacher, mm. uh, but all the teachers were supposed to sign for a special uh, oath, like, uh, you know, uh, that they will bring up the children in communist ideas. And if they refuse to sign this uh, kind of petition, uh, they were not given the job or they were dismissed from the job. So that happened to my mother many times because she never signed that. And eventually she ended up uh, like only temporarily working in uh, in the kindergarten, even though she was a qualified primary school teacher. So there were uh, there were positions uh, like uh, professions like lawyers, also very difficult for a Christian to even study. Uh, to become a lawyer uh, was uh, almost impossible. And uh, basically every leading position uh, in an industry, agriculture, or or uh, you know other services uh, like schools, education, uh, culture, or anything, any leading position, all those people were actually had to be Communist Party members. And uh, for some uh, leading position, it was not even enough, and they had to be members of the Communist People's Militia. So uh, to be a Christian, uh, the life was very limited uh, just by the selection of professions that you could do or type of education that you could uh, uh, have for your children. Wow. So it sounds like to become a Christian, the cost was actually quite high for people. And, uh, you know, the Bible often talks about us counting the cost. So in general terms, would that have created, uh, I guess, a different commitment, level of commitment or a different caliber kind of Christian when they did become converted because the cost was so high? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, that's true because, you know, those people, and I think I remember whenever we shared the gospel with someone who uh, just uh, became a believer and, or, or we, we saw that he is interested, you know, in the in, in, uh, Bible and in, uh, in uh, visiting, you know, our uh, our meetings, uh, we always warned those people who were going to be baptized, you know, what they can expect uh, when uh, they will be discovered as Christians. And I remember that actually happened even when I was uh, later on, uh, you know, um, at the university and I shared Christ with uh, one of my fellow students that I also uh, told him, you know, about uh, uh, what 
he uh, can expect uh, in this world as a Christian. And I actually warn him about uh, the persecution that uh, can come in his life, even by sharing, uh, you know, the story of Richard Wurmbrand and the book that I read when I was a high school student. That was the book uh, in God's Underground that Richard Wurmbrand, uh, uh, when he, where he's sharing his experience from his 14 years uh, in prison in uh, in communist Romania. Yeah. Wow. So. Um... Look, in the West, it's so easy to become a Christian. Quite often people come in through social reasons or they have a connection with friends and that. And those things in themselves are good. But it's interesting for me to note that when it seems like when difficulties arise within the church and persecution breaks out, that there's a a higher level of commitment and a more intimate walk with the Lord. I guess circumstances brings that out. Yeah, you know, uh, in today's world, what we see even in our country now that, uh, uh, you know, the Christianity that is being offered to people by by many uh, modern churches is now like, uh, it's more like promising uh, an easy life to people, you know, like uh, we, we are all seeing it, I mean, around the world, you know, like uh, uh, the theology of uh, prosperity mm. gospel, you know, that is being spread uh, spreading out, uh, not only in the Western rich countries, but also in Africa or Asia. Uh, so that's something that uh, is uh, far away from what we've been preparing people uh, for uh, to expect uh, under the communism and under the persecution that uh, I think that people really had to uh, evaluate, you know, what uh, they can uh, lose. But uh, we could, we clearly could see in many, in many people's lives that, you know, the uh, the positive things and the peace and the the eternal life that people were receiving, uh, so that uh, completely uh, outweighed, you know, uh, weighted, you know, all these uh, all these uh, negative things mm. that uh, uh, people were also uh, being warned of and being prepared for. Wow. So if you look back in your life, is there a particular time where you can say, yeah, this is where I've made my decision for the Lord? Or is it just something that you grew up and it was just a natural consequence of your upbringing, uh, your Christian, your family, uh, Christian involvement? Um, and- mm-hmm. Of course, uh, I grew up in a Christian family, which I'm very thankful for. But, uh, you know, Christian faith uh, uh, cannot be really inherited. Sure, uh, you know, that's right. This is, this is uh, nothing, you know, to be inherited. It's something that we have to be born into uh, mm. the, uh, the kingdom. We have to be born again. Mm, so, amen. of course, the, uh, there was a time even in my life, even though I, I was reading uh, the Bible every day, since I actually was able to read. Uh, but I remember that before that, you know, even especially like uh, under the communism when my father was a pastor. And of course, as a pastor's family, we had to move quite frequently from place to place. Uh, and I remember that for me at a certain time before I was born again, uh, I was afraid, you know, whenever I had to go to a new school and new schoolmates and to tell people were asking, what is your father doing? So I remember there was a time, I think it was like in the fourth grade when uh, we moved to another place and someone from my new schoolmates asked me what my father was doing. And at that time, I have to admit, I was afraid to say that my father was a pastor. So I, I said that my 
father was a beekeeper, which he was, by the way, as well, because it was his hobby. But uh, it just clearly demonstrates, you know, the fear that was Mm. put on me as a child of the pastor. But I immediately after I said I knew it was for me at the time was like something for to deny Christ like Peter. And whenever I read the passage about Peter's, uh, you know, betrayal Mm. uh, or denial, denial, actually, uh, I felt like, oh, this this is the word that speaks like uh, uh, right directly to me. And I was, right. uh, you know, l- later on, I think it was when I was 15 years old, uh, um, I or actually f- uh, 14 years old, I think that was... Uh, uh, no, 15, sorry, 15. When I was 15 year old, uh, I attended one of the uh, Christian youth camps, which was not in our country. It was in Eastern Germany at the time. And it was a kind of, well, I could say, also unofficial underground uh, youth camp. Uh, and, you know, as we speak, uh, we spoke Czech and uh, it was in uh, German speaking countries. So we were kind of like, uh, covered uh, by the language barrier and mm. nobody could report us. So at that time we felt really free. And I think at that time it was like, uh, you know, uh, the word from the scripture that really spoke to me was uh, from Second Corinthians uh, uh, 5.10, where Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so yes. that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in, in the body, uh, whether good or evil. So that was the word that clearly spoke to me. And I remember that was the time when I uh, committed my life to Christ and uh, later on when when uh, we returned home, I asked my father uh, to baptize me. So uh, that was uh, definitely the time of uh, uh, personal commitment. And I would say uh, that was the time when I experienced the the spiritual birth. And that uh, since that time, I was uh, more uh, aware of, uh, you know, the uh, the, the, how important it is to keep uh, uh, and to live according to Christ's words. And I became even more active uh, among my schoolmates at the high school at that time. And uh, I can say that uh, I was always kind of like wondering whether the Lord would give me the uh, kind of second chance, you know, to uh, not to deny him, but just to uh, to uh, really uh, confess my faith, uh, uh, you know, uh, before people. And that situation came uh, later on when I, after I finished uh, my studies at the university. And of course, at that time, there was a compulsory military service in uh, Czechoslovakia. So I remember the first months we were in the, in the barracks and uh, we had this political training and there was one officer who uh, was training uh, the whole about the whole group about 300 soldiers in atheism and he was uh, at one moment he paused for a while and then he asked is there still anyone who believes in god and he uh, was trying you know was ready to ridicule any potential uh, person who would say yes and so i you know in that moment i clearly kind of felt like oh peter this is your uh, second chance this is your moment uh, to really uh, you know confess uh, in front of uh, everybody that uh, you are a christian so i rose my hand 
hand. And uh, at the same time, I realized, even though I knew that there were some other uh, Christians from other denominations, that I was the only one who rose uh, his hand at that mm. time. But uh, so for, for me, that was a unique opportunity. And I, I was thankful to the Lord that he gave me this opportunity to publicly confess, you know, that uh, I am uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, you know, uh, the, the officers uh, were very respectful and they actually later on even appointed me to a much more important job and uh, actually trusted me much more. And uh, I was uh, really doing some very important job uh, that uh, just showed that they respected uh, my faith and they were just uh, maybe kind of surprised that I was not afraid to say that I'm, I was a Christian at that time. Well, well, praise the Lord, because that was obviously a very brave move on your yeah. part, you know, to, to for the yeah. potential yeah. of ridicule and, of course, also for the potential yeah. of persecution and not giving favorable yeah. positions. But, yeah, uh, yeah. D- dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest via Skype from the Czech Republic from Prague is Peter Jasek. So we are just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this short message. Stay tuned. Decision time. The steps involved in making a decision are this. What you think causes your feeling. The way you feel determines the way you act. If you have stinking thinking, it leads to negative feelings. Negative feelings lead to negative behaviour. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Maybe it's time to have a checkup from the neck up. Dear listener, welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. I've got a special guest via Skype from Prague in the Czech Republic, Peter Jasek. And just before the break, Peter was telling us about some experiences he had when he was uh, doing compulsory military training and how the officers there were trying to indoctrinate them regarding uh, atheism and how they still asked at the end of all those lectures, was there anybody that still believed? And then Peter was the only one, and he knew that there were other Christians. He was the only one that put up his hand. So that persecution, Peter, obviously would have prepared you somewhat for what was lying ahead, because, uh, dear listener, if you've just joined us, Peter was um, put in prison, falsely accused and put in prison in the Sudan for 445 days and suffered persecution in prison. And we're going to get to that story very shortly, but Peter, perhaps you can just explain a little bit about you know, your life and also already having experienced persecution and even ridicule as a Christian and how important it was for you to actually, you know, declare your faith to the Lord when those opportunities arose. You know, I think my great example in my life were certainly my parents because, you know, even before this experience at the military you know, I've already witnessed, uh, you know, my uh, uh, both of my parents uh, being arrested and interrogated at the same time one day, uh, and they were missing when I came home uh, from a high school. So, uh, I mean, uh, that experience in the military was already a time when we were uh, really facing uh, open persecution and interrogations and, uh, uh, you know, uh, surveillance 24-7. So mm. in one sense, uh, for for me, that was already like time when we were deep in, in this persecution and the Lord uh, just uh, uh, has uh, uh, prepared for, had prepared us uh, for that uh, in, in the previous life and experience. But I was also sharing, uh, you know, Christ uh, uh, with uh, 
some others, uh, even in the military. And uh, uh, I mean, that for us, uh, and for me personally, was, uh, uh, you know, like living daily with the danger of, uh, you know, uh, suffering consequences uh, because of the Christian activities. Uh, But I think that was all what uh, the Lord, how the Lord was uh, preparing me, you know, for for the time uh, that was supposed to come many, many years later. Wow. Okay. So tell us now, perhaps we can step a little bit uh, forward. Tell us about uh, your experiences and how you start getting involved in the work that you're in and how you end up being in the Sudan. Yeah, I uh, since 2002 I was uh, fully uh, involved in uh, the work of, of the Voice of the Martyrs, and uh, I felt it always as a privilege, you know, that uh, once being persecuted, uh, once uh, being helped by other courageous brothers and sisters who smuggled Bibles into former communist Czechoslovakia, and some of them even uh, suffered uh, uh, by the fact that they were actually arrested and spent some time in prison in communist Czechoslovakia. So so and having known all of that, for me, this was an inspiration for my life. So uh, I dedicated my life to help the persecuted church. And that was the reason why I also went to Sudan uh, when I was uh, overseeing the, the Voice of the Martyrs work in Africa at the time uh, to just to go to Sudan to document the persecution of other uh, courageous uh, brothers and sisters and uh, as individuals as well as uh, the whole churches and uh, that that I carefully planned that trip just for four days uh, arranged uh, all my meetings interviews uh, carefully and um, uh, just thought that everything went well and until the moment when I got arrested just after four days trip uh, right at, at the airport so uh, that certainly uh, you know was a situation that uh, came unexpectedly even though i can say that the uh, voice of the martyrs has uh, had prepared us already for a situation like that we uh, went through various trainings what may happen when you get kidnapped when you get uh, uh, you know robbed or when you get arrested uh, so it was mm-hmm. not something that was uh, uh, purely theoretically we knew that uh, we are doing a dangerous uh, work you know and uh, I, I like uh, Richard Wombrand's words uh, he said that to do the work of God is dangerous but not to do uh, the work uh, of God is more dangerous wow. uh, so uh, so so, I mean, we, my family, we all were living uh, with uh, knowing, you know, that what what kind of uh, what type of work I was doing. My my wife often joined me on on my trips. My children sometimes often sometimes also joined me on my trips. So uh, the whole family knew that uh, uh, the type of work uh, I was doing. But until something until the day when something happens, you really are taking it not completely seriously, and it is just in the sphere of the- uh, theory. But when it came to the practical moment, when I got arrested, I think it became just a reality that. Uh, started to, I would say, change and transform our lives in even a deeper way. Mm. Well, I'd like you to unpack that, what you mean by deeper way. But just before that, perhaps you can just give us a little bit of background of what the circumstances were in Sudan. Why were people being persecuted there? Uh, yeah, if in Sudan, if um, uh, anyone who is a Muslim uh, 
wants to become a Christian, you know, there is uh, only one penalty for that, and that's the death penalty. Wow. And I, I heard about the testimony of a young student who was a, actually became a believer, and he was of Muslim background. So, uh, you know, the Secret Service uh, uh, decided to uh, to kill him. So they threw a firebomb at him and burned him seriously. So actually came... Uh, I, I, I actually decided to uh, visit this guy, interview him, and document his injuries. And I also heard about uh, uh, many churches, uh, church buildings being uh, literally demolished. And that was the main reason why I went to Sudan. I didn't uh, go there to evangelize people because that, that's not what the VOM as an organization is doing. We believe that the best evangelists are the local indigenous people, but mm. we are trying to equip them. And that's part of our ministry. But the large portion of uh, our ministry is just to document the persecution and inform the free world about uh, the way how these brothers and sisters are being persecuted. So that was the moment when I, I just came to, to document. And uh, I was actually followed on every step, which was obvious then when they arrested me and they started to show me uh, photos from all my meetings, including those that were held at, at night. Uh, so uh, that actually was quite, um, quite um, you know, uh, absolutely changed the whole situation. And suddenly I was facing uh, the persecution, the interrogation, and later on also the time in the prison cell uh, together with other uh, fellow prisoners, which uh, later on appeared to be very dangerous because I was imprisoned uh, with the, the members, sympathizers, and supporters of the Islamic State, uh, ISIS guys or Daesh, as they call themselves. Right. So you're in Sudan. You you do your four days of work. You have your meetings. You you, you document all your information. And then you're about to leave the country. What happens? And then uh, right after I got my boarding passes for all my flights through Nairobi and Amsterdam home, you know, and I turned, I just wanted to go to the passport control. The secret police arrested me and confiscated my my old technique, uh, laptop camera, uh, uh, cell phone, uh, video camera, every uh, potential, uh, the hard uh, hard drive or uh, SD card, anything, uh, and they started to interrogate me. And uh, later on, it was obvious that they delayed my flight so that uh, I could not fly and actually then took me to their headquarters and did uh, almost 24 interrogation. So uh, that, that was kind of like uh, something that uh, showed that they were following me on every step. Well, and you weren't aware you were being followed until you got arrested? I wasn't aware of that, even though I could say I could expect it somehow, but mm. uh, I was trying to do some meetings in a very noisy restaurant where uh, you could hardly be recorded. Uh, okay, or so you're taking steps some to protect meetings. yourself as yeah, much yeah, as you yeah. possible. I yeah. did, I did. Mm. And also, we, uh, you know, the interview of the Muslim background believer uh, was done at night. Uh, you know, I, I, I was warned not to take photos of any of these sites where the churches were demolished, but we have visited these sites at night. Uh, so that at least I could see. So, I mean, we normally do all these precautions, but it still uh, was not, uh, uh, not has not prevented me from uh, being followed, and uh, which is quite easy in mm. Sudan, you know, to follow an Westerner in, in that country. So they confiscate your laptop, they confiscate your camera and your phone and everything. Do they, uh, they find damning material from their perspective on, on that? 
Uh, I think uh, for them, uh, you know, I had some photos that I deleted, uh, but of course they were able to restore the deleted photos, which uh, I, I, you know, I was supposed to, and I was trained to do that. I was supposed to rewrite, you know, the deleted space with uh, a special program, but um, I would say that was probably my mistake that I did, or maybe I didn't have even time for that, mm. for this, uh, this short trip to rewrite all the space that was deleted with some of the photos. So of course they had the photos of the student uh, that uh, got burned uh, and they uh, they probably you know used it as a as a as an evidence actually uh, against uh, against me. Yeah. Wow. So you really got to have some really good training and have your whereabouts. It's not a it's not a relaxed kind of a uh, employment that you find yourself in working for the Lord in this capacity. No, it was something that uh, I was uh, somehow prepared for, but still, you know, as I said, until you realize that uh, you get arrested, that's the moment that when the theory come into practice. Hmm. So what are the charges they end up bringing against you? Uh, I think they were had like they charged me like um, for seven different articles, uh, and uh, one of them like espionage and uh, uh, treason actually uh, are those who have uh, the death penalty. So I was actually facing death penalty, wow. and uh, in the end, uh, you know, when I was when the sentence was declared after. 13 months being in prison and uh, or 13 and a half months being in prison uh, was uh, was a, a life imprisonment uh, which in Sudan means uh, 20 years yep. 20 years wow yep. so you you get arrested they go through all your material they bring these charges against you and you end up in prison um, are you able to contact your family to let them know what's going on no, that's that's the, one of the things that uh, I was not allowed to do because uh, you know they want deliberately want to separate you from your family, separate you from the embassy that only came later on, and in a very limited way. Uh, that's part of their uh, strategy, you know, how they want to kind of like break. Uh, break down people mm. uh, and of course it is not very pleasant when uh, I think the, the fact that you don't know what will follow you don't know how long you will be there you know this uncertainty is actually what makes the whole thing uh, much worse than you know just the physical uh, inconvenience uh, that later on became actually physical attacks from the fellow uh, Islamic fellow prisoners so uh, that that's uh, you know this physical uh, uh, torture is not as bad as the psychological torture that you are actually going through. Uh, that's uh, that's quite obvious. Uh, you know uh, that was uh, the really hard time in the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, I could imagine it'd be difficult because quite often we think of persecution. We just think of the physical aspects, but it is the the emotional, the the psychological aspects as well. And they're obviously masters at this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And of course, you know, uh, the other fact was that uh, I was not physically doing well. You know, there's malnutrition. You know, they, I uh, also was uh, on a hunger strike. And then they discovered when they took me to the hospital, they discovered that uh, I was even anemic. So, mm. you know, all these factors like uh, that you don't have enough uh, uh, hemoglobin and you don't have enough oxygen in your uh, in your body actually then uh, explains you know being more depressed uh, sure. not being able Fatigued to concentrate and, your yes. mind yeah mind on even like scriptures but I can say that the Lord still was uh, 
helping me and reminding me some of the scriptures, uh, uh, even though I was not able to memorize the whole verse as I was, would normally, if I would be healthy, would be able to do. So definitely, you know, this whole situation is something like, uh, you know, the words from Isaiah 48.10 was kind of like a, a light motive of, of, of this, you know, what the Lord says, I have refined you and tested you in the furnace of affliction. So, I mean, my, my prison experience definitely refined uh, my spirit spiritual life you know this is something that uh, if you imagine that you i was 5 months without a bible uh, you know i was uh, among the the these islamists who were actually beating and torturing me uh, so that's a situation that uh, definitely uh, is kind of like a refining process but mm. uh, you know when the lord when the lord talks about refining his own people uh, you know, uh, sometimes you know it. Uh, the the uh, the process of refining is uh, uh, like uh, uh, shown on on refining uh, precious metals like silver or gold. And sure. uh, the, the the main the main process, the, uh, I mean, the main meaning of the process of refining is definitely for the precious stones to get rid of everything that is not genuine. And I, I believe that was the same way in my life through this uh, hardships, through this uh, persecution inside the prison. Uh, and just the, by the fact being in prison, being separated from uh, my family uh, is the process where uh, it is a really a spiritually a refining process when you don't only think what what's not uh, what's not genuine in your life, but you also are kind of being convicted by the Holy Spirit of the things that you should be doing and you you were not doing. So mm. uh, that's 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 a process that is really very important, and I would say that's the most precious. Uh, time when I look back at it, you know, at the effect of the time mm. uh, and for so many days uh, or so many months uh, uh, spend uh, having spent in prison is uh, this this is the precious outcome of this uh, refining process. Wow! So perhaps you can just briefly tell us the importance of the Word of God when you're going through these difficult times. Yeah, I was not having Bible for um, five months. So when you don't have a Bible, certainly your your prayer life has uh, it gets deepened a lot. Wow. You know, uh, your personal you you actually talk uh, in in your mind. You know, because I was at first not uh, allowed to speak out loud until I got uh, moved to, uh, transferred to a solitary confinement where I spent uh, four months total in solitary confinement uh, one month in one prison and three months in the other prison uh, so that's the time when uh, when uh, you know uh, you are thankful for any part of the the scripture that the holy spirit reminds you and i believe that the lord was reminding me those verses that i needed but imagine after five months and being in a solitary confinement and suddenly having a bible I, I read the Bible when I got it after five months uh, uh, within three weeks from Genesis to Revelation. Wow. And I could I could only read from 8 a.m. Uh, till 4, 4.30 p.m. because that was a time when there was enough light in the prison cell. And I had to stand at the window and just leaning on, on, on the bars of the of the window. So, But I, I was reading scripture all over again. I think within the uh, almost nine months that I had the Bible in prison, I read uh, Old Testament like six times and New Testament mm. ten times. And every time I was reading it, uh, it really was like discovering new things 
things in the scripture, even though I was reading like uh, my reading style was Monday, the Gospel of uh, Matthew, Tuesday, Gospel of Mark, uh, Wednesday, Gospel of Luke, and uh, Thursday, Gospel of John, and then uh, Book of Acts, and, and so on and so forth. So when you read Bible like this, you start to realize certain things that you've never seen before, and the Holy Spirit is actually showing you the connections. And I would say that uh, I've... Uh, uh, got a completely new or I would say at least deepened view on understanding of the scripture after that and uh, so then I come to the most important uh, part then because you know it was not only for my personal uh, benefit I was always wondering why do I have this privilege to have Bible being uh, for three months in solitary confinement not mm. having anything else to do than just to read the Bible and twice a day they allowed us go to the toilet one time in the morning one time in the evening and twice a day they just brought us the boiled beans and uh, and uh, bread and apart from that i had the time for just for myself but i uh, started to understand later on when uh, we were transferred with the other two pastors and uh, the interpreter we were transferred to uh, another so, prison so you were in prison in with some other christians as well Yes, yes, but we did at, at first we didn't know about that. We only figured out later on, and then when we were together, uh, we actually were moved to uh, Al Huda prison, which is a desert prison with capa capacity of ten thousand prisoners. And then I understood why the Lord gave me this privilege uh, at first to have uh, my prayer life deepened without the Bible, and then three months having the Bible just for myself because. When we came to this uh, prison, we realized that there was also, uh, apart from, you know, like every section of 400 prisoners had their own mosque. But for the whole capacity uh, of the 10,000 prisoners, there was only one small uh, cell turned into a chapel. And then I understood that the Lord has been preparing me for the time of preaching the gospel mm. in this in this uh, small prison chapel. And so in all of that, you know, I can see uh, how uh, high. Uh, the Lord's ways and how higher the Lord's thoughts are than our human thoughts and human ways uh, because he uh, was just uh, preparing me to do the work of sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel uh, to those prisoners who lost all their hope and were hopeless just uh, uh, you know everything what could collapse in their lives uh, collapsed and they were just uh, so desperate and they were so open to uh, to hear the gospel when they were in prison and it was a wonderful time to see all of them you know who came to the church and who were interested in hearing the gospel how the lord was transferring their lives when after they have committed their lives to christ well praise the lord you know i, I listened to your story and it sounds like there's a lot of defeat that you're incarcerated you're thrown in prison you're persecuted yet the lord somehow turned these events around and, and what i hear i just hear hope and, and joy in your voice regarding the opportunities you had to, to spend time in prayer and studying the word and also mm -hmm. sharing the word and i hear victory in in your testimony yeah i mean this is amazing especially when you consider the fact that in january 2013 the sudanese authorities has have expelled 
all the Christian NGO workers, uh, you know, from from the country, and they thought that they have uh, cleansed the country from uh, Christians uh, uh, from abroad. But uh, you know, I think this uh, is I consider it like the Lord's sense of humor that then He <laughs> brings uh, uh, me and two other pastors to to prison, and uh, uh, that He allows us to to share the gospel there. And one other thing is what uh, Pastor Hassan told me. You know, the one who was also uh, arrested with later after me, and uh, then he uh, was sentenced uh, uh, to 12 years in prison. Uh, you know, he told me that as a young student of the uh, Bible school, he was actually going to the last prison when we were together in uh, prison Kober in uh, in Khartoum. He said that he was going there to preach uh, as a young student before graduation. and But he said that the fact when he was actually preaching the gospel then in that prison, when he was a prisoner, he considered that as the real graduation uh, than when he was preaching there as a prisoner. So a wonderful ways that mm. the Lord uh, did with us. And I would say when we commit our lives uh, into his hands and we uh, we can be assured that whatever happens in our lives, the Lord is in control. And the, we knew that the Lord had uh, keys of ourselves. But we knew that the Lord want, uh, would allow us to be there only uh, till He decides, until He opens uh, the, uh, the the cells. And uh, we we were, despite this fact that we knew that, we still were so grateful for the prayers of many brothers and sisters around the world, because uh, just the fact to know that the the our large family around the world was so concerned and so prayerfully supporting us in their prayers and fastings. I mean, this was an amazing encouragement for us because we had ways how we could uh, find out from, from our families about that. Mm. Look, I, I praise the Lord for your wonderful testimony. I mean, nobody wants to go through that experience, but you're bringing so many positive spiritual aspects out in your experience with the Lord. I guess the God's grace is sufficient for us in any circumstances, and we experience more of His grace and love when circumstances dictate us to rely solely on the Word of God and trust in God that He will bring a good outcome for us. Dear listener, we're just Amen. going to take a quick break and share our contact details with you. My guest is Peter Jasek from the Czech Republic. He is currently living in Prague, and we have contact via Skype, and we will continue our interview with him shortly after this break. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. We're just at the end of our program, and uh, the program you're listening to is by the word of their testimony. And my special guest is Peter Yasek from Prague, and he's been sharing his experiences, how God has led him in his life, and also when he was uh, suffering persecution in Sudan, being thrown into prison. Now, Peter, there's a lot of things we haven't touched on. I know that uh, you were persecuted in the prison by fellow inmates. They were going to waterboard you. And the day they're going to waterboard you, God miraculously actually saved you from the waterboarding because you probably wouldn't have survived given your your health. But how does a person survive these things, you know, when they are persecuted for Christ's sake? 
I think uh, this uh, is uh, not easy to answer because, you know, we, uh, I would say when uh, we uh, feel weak, uh, uh, then, uh, this is what Apostle Paul says, then we are strong. Uh, so one thing I would like to emphasize is that this was uh, uh, never done in my strength. Uh, you know, I would say that I was at the bottom of my strengths, but uh, I would say that that's exactly what Paul says. When uh, when we are weak, uh, we uh, can experience uh, the Lord's strength mm, in our amen. weakness. And uh, I would just say that we uh, should... Uh, decide you know uh, to be uh, to follow Christ at any price whatever may happen in our lives and the Lord knows our heart and he knows that whenever we uh, want to remain faithful to him he will give us strength to remain faithful and uh, you know I like uh, the one uh, the Psalm 116 uh, it says uh, that the Lord is a protector of the unexperienced ones uh, mm. which is at, at least it is like uh, in one of our Czech uh, uh, translational Bibles. So, uh, I mean, no one can actually uh, really feel that he is, has strength enough, he has experience. And I believe that uh, that's the perfect situation when we can experience uh, the Lord's strength, uh, when we also appreciate the prayer support from uh, my home church, from uh, my family. And, you know, I had this this one interesting uh, experience when uh, I was actually almost uh, approaching, you know, the moment of being waterboarded. You know, I felt such a supernatural peace. Uh, and I started to pray for those who were doing this to me or who planned to do the waterboarding, who were beating me with the wooden stick and who were just ridiculing me. Mm. And uh, so... And uh, later on, when I got released, only when I got released, actually, I found out that at that time, you know, uh, there was a prayer meeting, a Bible study group where my wife attended, and the brother who was leading this group was actually uh, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit to stop discussing the Bible passage they were reading, but he felt like uh, they needed to go on their knees and to they proclaim the Lord's victory in the prison cell and about the situation that I was at that time at. And that was a perfect uh, uh, evidence how the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for the mm, saints amen. according to the will of God. And that's exactly what uh, I should say. You know, we uh, I, I was able to go through that because of the Lord's strength that he gave me. And uh, I think we, just, we decide to be faithful uh, to the last moment and to be humble uh, before the Lord, that uh, that's the situation that we can really even despite the fact we are coming through this difficult situation, we can be more than conquerors. You know, the Lord has prepared his disciples that uh, he said, they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. Uh, and he told uh, that uh, you and we will be brought to religious or secular authorities. We will be put in prison. And he even said that some of us will be uh, killed. So that's the, the reality of Christian life. Mm. But uh, I would say it's, it's worse of going this way because we know that we should not be afraid of those who have the power uh, to kill the body, but they have not the power to kill the spirit. 
Amen. Thank you very much for sharing that, Peter Jasek. Now, if people want to hear more about the work of Voice of the Martyrs, there is a Australian uh, website here. It's uh, vom.com.au. That is for Voice of the Martyrs. And if you don't have those yes. details, they're welcome yes. to get in touch with us. But, Peter, I just want to thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your testimony. It's been a real blessing to me and no doubt has been a blessing to our listener out there as well. May God continue to bless you in your work and also as you share your testimony for him. May many souls be one for Christ. Thank you very much. And may the Lord continue to bless you and uh, your ministry as well. Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.